Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 5. My name is Jeff Brooker, Barfly columnist for the Bay Area News Group and author of the books 20 Years Behind Bars, The Spirit of the Adventures of a Real Bartender, and its sequel, Pearl Denied. My co-host and barback is Kevin Zong, editor of The Grin Dish. Sit back and relax as we attempt to pull back the curtain on the hospitality industry. And feel free to pour yourself a beverage. I know Kevin and I will. Well, hello and welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. We are excited to have Sam Levy on the program. Sam is the former manager of the restaurant in Meadowood in St. Helena and is currently operating partner at Fern Bar in Sebastopol. And if that wasn't enough to keep him busy, he's serving as the bar consultant for the newly revamped Nick's Cove. Welcome, Sam. Well, thank you so much for having me. Really excited about being on here with you guys. Get to share some of the the gospel with people who are obviously (laughs) already deep into it. Talk spirits, right? Yeah, right. The whole, the holiest of spirits in my world. Well, okay. Let's let. Uh, I know this is a generic way to start, but let's start from the beginning here. When did you realize that you had a knack for all of this? Like, what was the aha moment when you recognized this was your calling? The aha moment for me was really within my first couple of days of training a little mom and pop Italian restaurant in Healdsburg. I just really enjoyed the dynamic between a bartender and a guest. There was only five seats at the bar. And I just, you know, it felt like there was a lot more mutual respect and was able to really kind of get to know people and enjoy an evening with them, sharing a meal and making drinks for them and seeing them appreciated. I mean, at first I wasn't very good, but I cared, you know, I cared enough to to try to do it the way that they liked it. I grew up making a lot of jams and preserves with my mom who learned it from her grandmother with kind of local wild seasonal fruit my 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 dad uh, dropped out of college and you know opened up a uh, juice shack uh, making smoothies and little salads and you know hippie nut bars and stuff like that on the campus of University of Madison Wisconsin my mom and I always tease him that we could have been the Jamba Juice family and I would have been living on a yacht but uh, <laughs> when they got pregnant with my little sister my dad realized that he had to get a real job and start a career and went back to school. And, and that kind of career path ended up uh, bringing them out to California. Funny how we always end up somewhere, right? I think what you said early on there was you cared. And that's so vital. I mean, Anthony Bourdain has the famous quote that you can't teach character. Either you have it or you don't have it. But you can't teach empathy either. People either have it or they don't have it. And you, can, you can't force them to do that. I make a, a distinction a lot between you know mixologist and bartender because Sometimes people get really wrapped up in the drinks, which are interesting and fun, and you can do that. But if you do that at the exclusion of the guest, I think that's when people start to run into problems. I say the same thing. Like a mixologist is better kept behind the scenes. Like I don't want a mixologist around guests telling them they can't order a vodka drink. Right. It doesn't. If you're buying the drink for them, you can make it however you want. But if they're buying the drink and let them ask for it the way that they want and enjoy. I don't care if it's a Cosmo or a lemon drop with the thickest sugar rim you've ever seen. <laughs> as long as they like it and it's made the way that they want it, it's it's the right feeling. It's the right approach. And that's the right way to do it. This idea of telling people that you, you don't do this and you don't do that, it can be kind of isolating. In the bar business, again, you just can't teach that. You, you either have it or you don't have it. And so how did you get involved with Nick's Cove? I mean, we'll, we'll get to Fernbar in a minute, but we had uh, Benson Wang on the program not too long ago. 
And he was talking about all the exciting changes that were happening at Nixcove and brought you in to be the consultant on the bar program. How did that all happen? And what's the direction you're taking the bar? I'm a huge fan of Benson's and was really excited to hear that episode. I always learn something when we get to talk and get excited about a new uh, a new side of the industry that I haven't been exposed to yet. I have been looking forward to working on a project with him in the Palm House uh, Hospitality Group pretty much ever since I did a little consulting for him a ways back on Palm House down in the marina, helping to kind of build out the bar program with a little structure, systems, back bar products, tools, you know, little things like that, but was pretty busy out at Meadowood working five days a week where I wasn't able to really kind of dive into it the way that I would have liked to. Since then, we've been kind of, you know, staying in touch and just looking for opportunities to work together and, you know, have some fun doing what we do. And Nick's Cove was just such an obvious choice for both of us to be involved with. Just incredible beauty, history, and a, a great team out there who really cares. So, it was just such a, a great opportunity. It's an established location too. I mean, it is, a, you know, people know it, they they recognize it. It's, you don't have to explain where Nick's Cove is. They know it. I stopped telling people about things out on the coast that I love because it started to get too crowded out there. It's like the <laughs> Marshall store where I would go out and get oysters and fancy sandwiches and a little half bottle of like Chenin Blanc to take out on the coast and be bougie for uh, an afternoon. The word got out and I mean, it's great for all the businesses out there that have been doing so well, the Hog Island and them. You know, there's a lot of attention on that area because it is so beautiful. And with the pandemic, people really were motivated to kind of experience what's around us. Maybe they weren't able to go to Bisa or Portugal or Hawaii or travel to South America. People were forced to to reach into our kind of our our little back pocket here and there are all these gems around. Northern California is spectacularly beautiful. I just got back from Italy. When we we're driving back on the on the airport or to Marin County, we crossed over the Golden Gate Bridge and I went, man, Italy is beautiful, France is beautiful, Japan's beautiful, but man, Northern California spectacular. It really is. I hear a lot about the, these troubles in San Francisco and San Francisco is obviously struggling, but I think that San Francisco's struggles are Marin County's benefit. Marin County is is actually seems to be doing better in the hospitality aspect of it than it has ever before. It's so hard for people to to not read too deep into the, the news cycle and the way that information is presented now, uh, you know, San Francisco, there's obviously problems. My sister lives there and it's, it's a terrible situation that the people who are living in that kind of position are enduring on both sides, you know, right. but it's not that way everywhere. San Francisco is, has all these beautiful little nooks and crannies and there are a lot of great restaurants who are popping up there that are doing wonderful things. So, it, but yeah, absolutely. It is creating more opportunity in the surrounding Bay where it's not just people living in Marin looking for somewhere to go in the city to go out and enjoy things. There are a lot more opportunities uh, in the little town surrounding it. People are more likely to stay home, closer to home. I noticed that Sausalito Festival just the other day was a was a huge success. And that's all good, I think, for Marin County. And again, I agree with you too. I mean, there's so much overblown hype about what's happened in, in San Francisco. And San Francisco is still a beautiful city with a lot of beautiful areas. Marin, I still think, is a little behind in the cocktail scene. Quite honestly, I can only think about maybe a five or six cocktail spots that are, you know, restaurants with bars or just full on bars, really getting inventive with their cocktails and looking at Fern Bar's menu and what you're doing over at Nick's Cove, you really get creative. Do you think that's something that will work in Marin? And what would you like to see more of? Fern Bar started out, maybe I think our, our game was a little tighter in the beginning, you know, we weren't as adventurous. 
like any program, you build up on things. Every time we got used to doing one thing a little bit more complicated and, be, and it became easy and part of the system, then we added another one and another one. And we're able to use that kind of structure to help build new cocktails out a little bit more fully. So we can help with that kind of process and the systems that we have in place and the recipes, the backlog of drinks that we've made to help kind of influence new cocktails to be fully developed, if that makes sense. So Nick's Cove has all these great tools from their past house-made vermouths, barrel-aged cocktails, house-made purees or cordials. But being being able to use the kind of what we've developed at other bars and restaurants to steer them in the right direction, to make some of those kind of seasonal cocktails a little bit more experimental, a little more extravagant, different kind of layers from using a little bit of sparkling to lift things up or a foam or different rims or garnishes or ice. There are some little tweaks that we've kind of developed that help any of the cocktails with great bones become something that will look good on Instagram, will be consistent when it's measured out and stabilized with proper prep. Do you think about Instagram when you make these cocktails, when you're creating them? I think you've got to these days. I mean, we always, you know, you eat with your eyes first. And I always kind of joke around that like Instagram is the little, it's the worm at the end of the lure, just kind of dangling it out there. If it's attractive enough, if you got the right lure for the right person, it's going to hook them in. We're going to reel them in. And and then when you do try the drink, it's going to taste as good as you want it to. It's going to look the right way because we do things consistently within the parameters of a season. That kind of the marketing that's done through social media has been more important than print or radio or other types of I guess, marketing tools that were the standard for so long. So I think going back to the question that you asked about where, you know, where is there room for growth in in Marin? And I think it's the experience that a lot of bartenders have pulled um, from different places in the city or like we have and being able to share that with new restaurants. There's kind of, there was this dark time, you know, in our, in our recent past where experimentation and the risks have been detrimental to businesses. I think there's obviously not a lot of opportunity for low interest loans right now or investment (laughs) in projects, but the ones that are still around that do have a good core uh, clientele with locals that are, you know, have good ratings online that are pulling in tourists, they deserve to have a meaningful program and to pay those people well for the work that they do. I think the the opportunity is there for, like you're saying, people to move out of the, kind of move their attention out of the city into communities of service industry professionals in that live outside the city that are looking for maybe a, a better work-life balance and want to work closer to home and have earlier nights, but create cocktails with the same intention, with the same kind of beauty technique that they would have done at a at a very focused cocktail bar but bring them to kind of neighborhoods where there's i think real growth opportunity in the industry i think the expectation is there people know the difference i mean you don't always want it you know sometimes it's nice to just go to a beer hall and have a a pint and a burger and fries on a you know like a, a a plastic tray but when you're out at a restaurant and you want a fancy cocktail it's got to taste right People know the difference now. Looking at the Nick's Cove cocktail list, it's not overwhelming. It's not so esoteric that you're you're questioning there's two ingredients that you don't have any idea what that is. If you have just a, enough information and it, it's not 17 ingredient drinks, it's, it's recognizable. 
it's familiar enough, but done in a, in a more craft oriented way, which I think is exactly what you're saying. Plus I would throw in, man, it's nice as a bartender to not have to live in San Francisco. If you don't want to, you can live in, in Casio or somewhere and still be able to apply your craft in a way where people are going to appreciate it. And I think that's complete, That's a, a, a kind of a new development. There's a balance to every list. I mean, Nick's, we have the Nick's classics and we have the seasonal ones. And the people who want something a little bit more vibrant or energetic or made with mezcal are going to find a home on the seasonal list. That's always changing and new things are being brought in. But the classics list is... It will always be there. I mean, if you can't make a good Manhattan or an old-fashioned, you're not going to make a good seven-ingredient layered cocktail with a foam, an egg white, and a... It doesn't matter if you've got a dozen eyedroppers. Like right. If you can't build a classic right and do do that well, put it in the right glass and put it on good ice, then it, just everything else isn't going to materialize for you. The team that's there really appreciates classic drinks. The guests that are coming might be a little bit older, a little bit more set in their ways or experienced with kind of that style of, of drinks. So the classics are paying the respect that's due to where all these cocktails came from, but also giving guests what they want to enjoy. Don't make them guess about an old fashioned. Don't make them guess about a barrel aged cocktail. Put a just a great margarita on the list and and let people find a home there, build confidence in what the team is doing. And then the next time they're going to try something seasonal, try something a little bit outside their comfort zone because they know the classics are done right. I've noticed like a Mexican restaurant, their house margarita is actually not just the, the cheapest tequila with sweet and sour that they can make. It's often one of the best drinks on the menu. And it, it makes perfect sense that if you're going to call something your house cocktail, it should be good. It shouldn't be the other way around when it was all, you know, it would be a well drink essentially in the old days. Not aiming for the lowest common denominator, trying to make the drink the cheapest the possible. And I think your point to the, if you can't make a three ingredient drink good, you're not going to make a 23 ingredient good either, right? It's just not going to happen. Not to drag it out longer, but that's how I feel about vodka. Vodka is a vehicle for flavor, you know, whether it's infused with something or the other ingredients of the drink are going to take center stage. And being able to balance those other flavors without the influence of alcohol is is hard to do. But it doesn't mean that vodka drinks are less than something else. Some of our most popular cocktails have vodka in them. And it doesn't matter to me whether it's got gin or vodka or whiskey. It's got to showcase the right flavor profile and have the right balance. Otherwise, the drink isn't going to be good. Maybe people are afraid of vodka. It's hard to make a vodka drink complicated or with depth. Maybe people just like poo-pooing on something or having something that they feel better than, but <laughs> we just want people to enjoy things the way that they want them. And and it doesn't matter what the base ingredient is, you know, just as long as people are there enjoying it and the people who are making it take pride in what they're doing. Remember the movie Sideways when everybody was poo-pooing on uh, Merlot? There are a lot of people who really like Merlot. <laughs> So yeah, I, I hear your point about vodka. Oh yeah, no, I know. I always get on our on our team about that. Like you don't get to judge I mean, we do behind the scenes. Like, look, if I see a table of espresso martinis going out, I'm gonna go talk to my girls. You know, where my bad bitch is at. <laughs> that's the way it is. But then at the end of the night I see all these drinks go out and I was like, you know what? For my shit drink, maybe I'm gonna have an espresso martini and our bartender who she was like, I had this tequila espresso martini last night and it was really good. And the first thing I said was no, no, thank you. 
Um, <laughs> but she was like, look, check it out. And I had it and I loved it. You can have fun with drinks. It doesn't, I feel like we're finally past the point of mustache twirling, the most bitter, the most obscure Amaro, house-made tinctures and, you know, forceful smoky mezcals are the only answer. I, I don't think that's enjoyable for enough people. And once you get outside of the city, there's all these beautiful things around us and being able to be a part of, you know, these bars, Fern Bar and Nick's Cove, or to be able to showcase all the beauty that's around us and share that with people is, keeps us excited. So don't worry about tomorrow. Please join us next time when we welcome industry insiders and industry outsiders to talk about the state of the restaurant and bar business. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening. Have a drink on.